0: Welcome back, everyone. I'll do this again. Welcome back. The last two times, the um, last two times, the first two Wednesdays in this month of March, I explored a theme which came out of my um, one month of retreat in February. And that was the theme of looking at the nature of doing, The nature of not doing, and how, in a sense, doing can come out of a deep non doing, both in meditation and the daily life. And I was wondering in the last few days whether I would shift to another theme or whether there was more energy that I had for this theme. And the latter proved to be the case. And I actually. So I want to do a a brief review of what we've done and then take us further and deeper on what I found this very interesting theme of looking at the nature of doing and looking at our identification with at times being the doer. And then also particularly looking at um, how both in meditation and daily life we can have as it were a deeper, more profound, more connected, in a sense, form of doing that comes out of what we might call non-doing. Another way we could talk about it is some kind of uh, more spontaneous, intuitive doing that doesn't have a lot of the same structures as ordinary doing, ordinary doing is very connected often with a sense of self with time, with the future, with a lot of our ordinary structures and i'll i 'll go back and review that some but i i um, I think it was confirmed at least personally that this was a good choice because actually last night uh, I had a dream that was very much a doing. Out of non-doing dream, and here it is. I'll let you hear the dream. And many of you are psychologists. You can, I don't know, send me privately your interpretations of my remaining psychological work that still is to be done. Whatever. Anyway, uh, but um, I was. Um, I interpreted this as a a doing out of not doing dream. I was. Um, I was one of a group of teachers at something like a day-long retreat. But we were all sort of sitting around together. There were some nuns, some monks, some other teachers. We had not planned for the day at all. But it seemed to be happening well, and we, we, we didn't divide ourselves from the participants. Everyone was together. And at one point, I started doing some teaching. I talked for about five minutes. I think I didn't plan ahead what I was going to say. And then after I spoke, rather than someone else starting to teach further, someone just started sharing pastries to everyone. And so we were all just then eating pastries and everyone was relaxed. It was kind of happening spontaneously intuitively. No one was anxious. Anyway, I interpreted that as related to the theme for today. Uh, That it it seemed to be that there was a a kind of doing happening, but it was coming out of something that was not real tight or tense. It was a kind of a non-doing, not planning and so forth. And I'll come back to that um, uh, theme towards the end. So some of what we Some of what we've explored in past times include uh, both the importance of doing and the importance of non-doing in uh, meditation and in Buddhist teachings, uh, how we can also see some of the ways that our doing can be connected with um, limitations or identification that can be problematic. That At some point, we want to investigate, look into. And then that third area of how there can be, and as is identified in many traditions, kind of a deeper kind of doing that comes out of non-doing. And I'll talk about that in terms of further traditions where that's found, and also in terms of how we may experience that. I think one of the ways that we experience that most clearly is in really areas where we're sort of experts or masters at some area, whatever it is. And one of the places where it appears most clearly uh, is in uh, art, music, uh, and creativity, really of any kind. And I, ha- I had fun uh, yesterday. I interviewed my brother, and I'll report that. I interviewed my brother about this, and he is, uh, his name is... Uh, Frederick uh, Rothberg, he also, his musical name, he goes by the name of Frederick Nighthawk. And he, he's basically a, a blues and jazz pianist, very much working with uh, improvisation. And we, we talked, and I'll share some of what he said about a kind of doing which comes out of a non-doing. So that's what I'm going to explore. So we we've looked at how in um traditional meditation practice, clearly uh continual doing of a kind is really important, that we have to bring out uh effort. I I gave I've given a few times the Buddha's last words, one way is translated as everything is impermanent, work out your liberation with diligence. Right? You know. Uh also been translated as work out your practice with continual care and so there's this emphasis on the need for continual attention mindfulness skillful response to the present moment that's clearly an integral part of practice we could call that a kind of doing there's also the emphasis on wise and skillful effort in practice uh, to be Able to, you know, uh, keep on developing good qualities, be skillful when we have difficult things come up, um, know how to respond when difficult things come up, try to avoid getting in difficulties, but and keep on developing positive uh, qualities. Uh, wise effort, it's one of the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. So clearly, really, really crucial. And we can see how that's also something that we very much bring to our own meditation practice that it's very important for us to, uh, as it were, do our meditation practice every day. And many of us have to-do lists which includes this is the time for my practice, right? And um, so this is important and Yet it also uh, can be a problem or an issue if it gets overdone. And so we also saw how receptivity and a kind of non-doing is also crucial for our practice. That in something like in our mindfulness practice, we, we have aspects of doing in which we continually bring the attention back to the primary object. That's an integral part of our practice. We call that a kind of doing. There's also the doing of identifying what's happening. Is there planning? Is there remembering? That, that could be called a kind of doing very, very, uh, very, very important. Um, and yet there's also the receptivity of simply being with experience and letting it occur, and being present, and in a way letting go of the doing. I mentioned uh, the metaphor of the stringed instrument in the Buddhist text. It's the lute, which is neither too tight nor too loose. And so we can over-effort, but we also have to have this receptive dimension where I might just be with body sensations, and let them happen. And I'm not trying to manipulate them, make them change, make them go away, but I'm able simply to be with those with those experiences. So there can be this balance, really, of doing and a kind of not doing. Again, understanding that also as receptivity. And for some people's practice, that's not easy. A certain number of people, maybe Many of us at times, in a sense, we try too hard, we overdo, we over effort. You know I know that's been true in the past of my practice, and how many people find that you're sometimes trying too hard it can be can be there for for many of us, right so this is a a balance to uh to look for and and so related to that, we also and i want to take this a little bit further. We also saw that it can be valuable to investigate the nature of the doer in meditation and in daily life, that it doesn't take us very long to see that our sense of of, uh, of doing is very connected with our sense of identity, our sense of what's valuable in life and maybe about ourselves, It's connected with time, connected with the future, connected with our sense of self. So it's um, a very fundamental part of our um, experience. And looking more carefully at the nature of the doer can be a very, very fruitful, sometimes a little bit disconcerting form of inquiry, form of investigation. you know, that we can uh, often identify with being the doer. And again, many of us may have a harder time uh, inviting those aspects of non-doing. You know, I mentioned how, you know, a very typical example, we go, we meet someone, we go to a party, we meet someone in the course of our lives, and a typical first question in our culture, at this time, might be, what do you do? That's what we have to say first. You know, that wouldn't be the question in many cultures. You know, it would be, there'd be another question, but in our um, society at this time, we often ask, what do you do? And we want to find that out. You know, it's almost like, what's your identity as as a doer? And... It can be, you know, the sense of doing can be linked with wanting control and we can obviously overdo that. It can be uh, very much connected with the future when we get into uh, a lot of doing, particularly in our work, we um, we're particularly uh, at times just want to get the doing done, so to speak. And there are a lot of interesting aspects of language here. I want to get the doing done. I want to, you know, finish my doing so I can get to ease and relaxation. If I just get enough done, then I can relax. So it can be very future-oriented. And sometimes when we're in that frame, it's very hard to be present with our doing. We're just oriented towards, as it were, getting the doing done. Interesting phrase, right? And that... Uh, can also be there not just on a given day, but it can be the structure of our work lives. At a certain point, we may be very oriented towards finishing our doing and work and retiring. Does anyone notice that at times? I just want to keep on working enough so I can retire. And what happens with both of those examples. Is that very often we work so we can get the, uh, the doing done, so we can have a good time afterwards. But then when we get to where we want it to be going, we're actually exhausted and we forget what we wanted and we don't really relax. You know, that, that we get in the habit of doing. Anyone relate to that? You notice like there are a lot of doing, and then when the doing's done, you know, I'm I'm still often in a doing mode. And we can see that also in terms of that dynamic going into um retirement or even in in work in general. You know, I think I mentioned last time the story when I spent some years as a college teacher, I was very concerned by the fact that what people most loved to do wasn't necessarily available in terms of their jobs. And I I would ask people when they would be juniors in college, how many of you uh, know what you love to do? How many of you, um, how many of you when you go to maybe work after you graduate, think that you can get a job doing what you love to do? And about one quarter of the hands went up, which was sad, really sad, right? And so then the question is when they, when they get older or when they retire will they even remember what they love to do right so there there are a lot of social dynamics related to the doing um you know all sorts of things we can we can really look into them in um a number of different ways um you know and, and so it's interesting i think to, um, in our practice, do a certain amount of inquiry into the nature of our doing. And I'm going to come back and actually do a short guided meditation in which we'll investigate aspects of our doing. But can I, when I, you know, can I, when I'm in a doing mode, notice what my experience is. When I'm in a doing mode, what's my mind doing? Am I in planning mode all the time? Am I always in the future? What's going on with my body when I'm in a doing mode? Do I even notice my body? What's my posture? What are my emotions when I'm in that doing mode? You know, and some of what happens, this what I'm going to point to in a moment is that this isn't necessary, that our doing can come out of a deep quality of being present. But that's hard for many of us, right? Uh, Because we get into these uh, more rigid modes of doing. And I mentioned last time, one of my uh, favorite phrases, which came from someone I trained with, uh, was a psychotherapist named John Eisman. And he had a phrase called the organic impulse. And he said that, you know, as young children, we're somewhat in touch with what we know our organism wants. But that at a certain age, we start internalizing the messages of society, the messages of our family, and we lose access to that sense of what he called organic impulse. We lose touch with it, and we start acting in habitual and routinized ways. And we may not even often know what I really want. Am I really hungry? Do I really want that? Or am I just following habitual tendencies? And so one of the things we can do in meditation is regain access to that organic impulse and have it be there more and more in our lives. So I'll also, I'll also explore that. And... Again, there are different dimensions of it. There's also the dimension of what I call limiting beliefs that I, I was exploring some in my February retreat. I mentioned this, that uh, I was exploring uh, being doing a kind of formal meditation but not even doing anything in meditation. And I noticed a kind of limiting belief surface in meditation. I need to be doing some kind of meditation, right? and we may have limiting beliefs to be valuable, I need to do something, right? Just by myself, I'm not necessarily valuable. And these these are quite deeply uh, conditioned in, in our being. Okay. So maybe I'll do the, um, let's see, maybe I'll do the, the guided meditation right now, okay? Ready for a guided meditation? We'll do this for about, uh, I don't know, Seven to ten minutes or so. I'm not, I'm not sure of the timing. So this will be something that you can also do at home. This is, these are some ways of inquiring into the nature of the doing. So first of all, just do what helps you to settle. Might be being with the breath. Just be with the breath or something that helps you settle. Might be to stand up move around a little bit first and then and then settle your body Now bring to mind, as if you're reliving, something from maybe recently, maybe earlier today, in which you were in a doing mode, in a like maybe in a somewhat unconscious doing mode. Maybe you were doing the dishes, or um, cleaning up, or at the computer. First of all, think of an uh, experience in which this was occurring. And when you were in a more habitual kind of doing. And now bring that to mind as if you're reliving it. See what it's like. What's going on in your body? What's your posture? I'm noticing myself at the computer a little bit bending forward. What's, what's the posture? What's the, happening in the body? What's going on with your thinking? Maybe you're locked into continual automatic thinking. What's going on with the emotions? Are you in touch with emotional life? Now we'll go on to briefly explore doing and not doing in meditation. Let's just stay with our mindfulness now for a few moments. Be with your primary object, the breath. Notice that it takes some doing to bring your attention there. And notice what's happening. Identify whatever comes up in experience. That's a kind of doing. Now let me invite a kind of non-doing, being receptive. Bring your hands together, let them touch if they're not touching now. And just in a very receptive way, notice the sensations that you're experiencing as your hands touch. Focus on the sensations of your hands. That's a kind of doing, but then let the sensations just come on their own. That's a non-doing. Now coming back to just being with your primary object, for many of us, the breath. Now a further instruction, for the next period of time, don't do anything with your meditation. Don't do anything with your mind, but be present. Let go of all meditative doing. We'll do one more variant of that. I'm going to, in a moment, clap my hands. When I clap my hands, right after I clap my hands, totally let go of all doing. Ready? Let go. I think we'll do that one more time. When I clap, let go, but you're just obviously still going to be aware. Let go of all doing. One, two, three, let go. So we can come back just to being present. And I'll, in the discussion, I want to hear what that experience was. How many people had some interesting experiences in that exploration, had some insights? Yeah. And uh, we'll come back to that. I think I want to talk some about this notion of uh, um, the doing, which comes out of non-doing, and then we'll open things up to share and, and can hear some of what people experienced. So I mentioned last time that in multiple spiritual traditions, there is a kind of a vision of doing and action which come out of a deeper place than our more habitual notion of doing, that they come out of a more uh, profound um, non-doing, uh, something maybe more spontaneous, more connected with love, with, with uh, sacred and so forth. And we find this in multiple ways. And of course um, in all of these traditions uh, doing of an ordinary kind is very important and of course in our world doing and action are crucial to respond to our issues. Uh, but there is a pointing towards a deeper form of doing, which is quite uh, quite interesting. Um, so I'm going to mention a few more traditions that I didn't mention uh, last time. And I should say that also there can very often, we find this probably in ourselves, but in multiple traditions, also a kind of criticism of almost like religious doing that is sanctimonious or ritualistic in the negative sense that is uh, somehow missing the depths of the tradition, you know, and people who just do their habitual religious behavior but haven't touched the depths. That's often almost like a the object of critique for many spiritual teachers you no know? and so for example this place of uh, non-doing I just found a few quotations these are from first from the Hebrew Bible probably some of these you'll, you'll know this is from one of the Psalms be still and know that I am God This is from Isaiah. For thus saith the Lord God, in returning and rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And something pretty similar you find in the, uh, in the teachings of Jesus. I can of mine own self do nothing, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Similarly, he says, I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me. I am the vine, you are the branches. One that abideth in me, and in that person, the same bringeth, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So again, there's a particular language, but there's a sense of resting in something deeper. And again, we find that uh very explicitly and maybe more maybe more accessibly in the uh in the Taoist tradition, uh from you know from ancient China, from uh the particularly the figures of uh, Lao Tzu and Chuang Um I had quoted uh both of them last time. I'll give some different uh, quotations. This is from uh, this is from Lao Tzu. I should say that the term I mentioned for this this doing, which this uh, doing which comes out of non doing, it's it's the term in uh, the Chinese is Wu Wei, often translated as non action or non exertion or effortless action, something like that. And it's taken to be the ideal. Uh, often in those contexts, it was the ideal for the ruler who would sort of be almost like the expression of the people but would not be having this uh, external doing that was imposing something on the people. This was the Taoist the ideal. This is from uh, Lao Tzu. By continual losing, one reaches doing nothing. By doing nothing, everything is done. It's a famous line. By doing nothing, everything is done. One who conquers the world often does so by doing nothing. That's, a, again, a reference to the leader. When one is compelled to do something, the world is already beyond being conquered or being led. And then, uh, this is from uh, this is from Trung Tzu. This is called The True Human. What is meant by a true person? The true ones of old were not afraid when they stood alone in their views. No great exploits, no plans. If they failed, no sorrow. No self-congratulation and success. They scaled cliffs, never dizzy. Plunged in water, never wet. Walked through fire and were not burned. They slept without dreams, woke without worries. Their food was plain. They breathed from their heels. Let's see. They had no mind to fight the Tao. They did not try to help Tao along. Minds free, thoughts gone, Brows clear, faces serene. Were they cool? Only as cool as autumn. Were they hot? No hotter than spring. All that came out of them Came quiet like the four seasons. And in the... uh, Another, another reading from Lao Tzu, often the ideal was uh, one of the artist was also an exemplar of this doing which comes out of non-doing. And this is, uh, this is one called The Wood Carver. King, the master carver, made a bell stand of precious wood. When it was finished, all who saw it were astounded. They said it must be the work of spirits. Of spirits. The Prince of Lu said to the Master Carver, what is your secret? King replied, I am only a workman. I have no secret. There is only this. When I began to think about the work you commanded, I guarded my spirit, did not expend it on trifles that were not to the point. I fasted in order to set my heart at rest. After three days fasting, I had forgotten gain and success. After five days, I had forgotten praise or criticism. After seven days, I had forgotten my body with all its limbs. By this time, all thought of your highness and of the court had faded away. All that might distract me from the work had vanished. I was collected in the single thought of the bell stand. Then I went to the forest to see the trees in their own natural state. When the right tree appeared before my eyes, the bell stand also appeared in it clearly beyond doubt. All I had to do was put forth my hand and begin. If I had not met this particular tree, there would have been no bell stand at all. What happened? My own collected thought encountered the hidden potential in the wood. From this live encounter came the work which you ascribe to spirits. And I'll come back in just a moment and talk about that sense of creativity being linked with uh, with uh, with this sense of doing coming out of non-doing. Uh, a few pa- uh, references in the Buddhist tradition. Again, we can find this particularly, find this some in the Buddha. Um, there's uh, a passage, I don't think I gave this, where the Buddha talks about uh, uses, again, we can often find this kind of language uses paradoxical phrases. So the Buddha said, was asked once, how did you cross the flood? And the flood means our condition, tendencies to reactivity, our confusion, our delusion, and so forth. How did you cross the flood, the Buddha was asked. And listen for his answer, because it's really giving something like this sense of a, of a kind of doing which is not habitual. How did you cross the flood? Without tarrying, friend, and without hurrying did I cross the flood. But how did you, dear sir, without tarrying, without hurrying, cross the flood? When, friend, I tarried, I sank. When I hurried, I was swept away. And so, friend, with untarrying and unhurrying, did I cross the flood. And in um, some of the other traditions, I was thinking of uh, someone I've studied with, named uh, Mingyur Rinpoche. And I was thinking of particularly, I, ha- I brought his book, which is called In Love with the World. It's a, quite a beautiful book. It's a story of his four year retreat. And in this retreat he didn't do formal meditation just going to a retreat center or a monastery I spoke with him a little bit before he went on this four year retreat and I asked him what he wanted to uh how he wanted to do the retreat and he said all he said was I just want to get lost And what he actually did was he said I want to go on a traditional wandering retreat, where I have no set, you know, practices that I do, nothing that I do, but I just spontaneously move and try to stay present to life. He And he did this for four years, and it was there were hairy times. If you read the book, you'll see that he nearly died once, right? And he had difficult experiences, but it was a kind of a um, approach to meditation that's very much resonant with some of the traditions he was trained in, where the deepest understanding doesn't come out of doing, doesn't even come out of continual formal meditation. You know, uh, and I, uh, some, some other passages from the Tibetan tradition. Um, here's one. This is from uh, the great teacher Longchenpa from the 14th century given awareness which is not cultivated in meditation and in which nothing is discarded or adopted. If you meditate again and again you will see that there is nothing to cultivate in meditation. Is there meaning something ultimate or the, the depths. There is nothing to cultivate in meditation. This is the meditation of omnipresent awareness. Another text says, freedom is not due to effort. Rather, one abides timelessly in freedom. So they're pointing to the deepest understanding, being outside of the scope of normal doing. And that's what Mingyur Rinpoche was was pointing to. And I want to just, in closing, uh, connect this with some with ways that we can more easily access these kind of states of a doing that comes out of non-doing. Because I believe that we actually experience this a lot, but we may not recognize it. And so uh the one of the ways that we experience this is in places where we may have some kind of uh expertise or mastery, whatever it is, could be in very ordinary things in daily life, could be a, a particular activity could be uh, aspects of our work. Um, you know, one can have this maybe as a, a teacher, a writer, a parent, uh, you, know, um, you know, an accountant, all sorts of things, where we may be in a kind of doing that comes out of non-doing. And I was thinking of, uh, there, was, there were very interesting studies that were done by two brothers, uh, Hubert and Stuart Dreyfus. Uh, Hubert Dreyfus used to teach at uh, UC Berkeley in the uh, philosophy department, and they did a study of what they call uh, skill acquisition in in areas where there can be mastery. And so they looked at you know people who were painters or musicians or all sorts of areas, and they said that there are actually five stages that move towards expertise or mastery. And uh, the stages could be called those of the, um, the beginner or the novice, the advanced beginner, one who is competent, one and then who is proficient, and then lastly, one who is expert. And what they found is that in the early stages of developing abilities, one has to really be consciously doing something. You know, you learn the scales if you're a musician. You have to keep on doing that. And you know, in a medit as a meditator, you keep on coming back to the breath. But as you get more and more expert, you get away from that kind of non-doing. And what they found in their studies were that people who were at the master or expert level, they um they often were fully absorbed in the activity. They Did not have typically ordinary thinking. They more and more operated in an intuitive way. Uh, You know, if they were, you know, think of, you know, when you've done something like that, you know, or think of an artist or musician, they were more and more intuitive. There wasn't even the ordinary sense of self. Uh, There wasn't often a sense of time as they got into these uh, more expert or master phases, and I um i I had fun and i let me see where this is um uh, where are my notes um Oh, let's see. Where is it? I'm missing my missing my notes that I had earlier. Let's see. Well, I'll have to do it by memory then, because uh, I can't seem to find oh, the right notes. Let's see. Okay, so I was thinking of this in terms of uh, music and uh, ordinary activities, and I, um, both my mom and my brother are musicians, and I thought of a little poem which I had made of a talk with her that she told the story of... Um, she had training as musician earlier when she was seven, she had to offer a concert before the public. And she said she was very self-conscious and her teacher told her, don't think of yourself, let yourself be just totally in the music. And she said, okay, <laughs> and she just did it. And, um, uh, and so the little poem said, uh, my mother Bernice likes, Uh, likes concentration practice. She says, music is my concentration. All I do is let myself be taken over by the music. So uh, that was her expression. And we can see there that there's, the music is everything. There's not that uh, ordinary sense of self, not the doing. And then I talked with my brother um, last night and had a very similar discussion, and he said that, you know, because he's an, um, an improvisational pianist, and he said that when he's fully in improvisation, most of it is pretty intuitive, and it's, there's not much ordinary thinking, but then there is some thinking because he has to be aware of what's coming up, and sometimes there's a conscious choice. Often there's not. Often it's just going with the flow but sometimes there's a conscious choice. He gave the analogy of like, if you're a canoeist and you're just in a canoe, you're just really with the flow, so to speak. But you notice there's white water ahead. And intuitively, a strategy comes to mind for the white water. Similarly in music, there has to be some, okay, I'm, there's structure and there's something happening. And I have to, you know, I have some thought, oh, here's what I'll do when this riff comes, if you're a jazz musician. So... I thought that was very, very interesting. And then I think I'll just finish with one other example, which is that in sports, and I have a friend named Andrew Cooper who wrote a wonderful book called Playing in the Zone, which is about uh, being in the zone in sports. And I think I'll close with a quotation from the great uh, basketball player, originally from San Francisco, named Bill Russell. And this is... uh, and listen for this. This is a sense of doing in sports coming out of non-doing. And listen for this because it's interesting because what he's talking about is there's no sense of self. And there actually he goes into there's a very unusual sense of time. Every so often a Celtics game would heat up so that it became more than a physical or even mental game and it would be magical. Magical. That feeling is difficult to describe and I certainly never talked about it when I was playing. When it happened, I could feel my play rise to a new level. He's talking about being in the zone. At that special level, all sorts of odd things happened. It was almost as if we were playing in slow motion. During those spells, I could almost sense how the next play would develop and where the next shot would be taken. Even before the other team brought the ball in bounds, I could feel it so kindly keenly that I'd want to shout to my teammates. It's coming there! Except that I knew that everything would change if I did. My premonitions would be consistently correct, and I always felt that I not only knew all the Celtics by heart, but all the opposing players, and they all knew me. There have been many times in my career when I felt moved or joyful, but these were the times when I felt chills pulsing up and down my spine. So the invitation would be to explore using the guided meditation material that we did, but also look for those times when you're doing something you love that's really familiar to us, when you have a kind of doing coming out of non-doing. See what it's like. See what the sense of time is, the sense of self and so forth. And, um, and especially recognize it, and know that it's happening. So I'll stop here. And let me just uh, have us pause for a few moments and just reflect on how you might want to bring some of what we've explored into your own explorations, your own practice. Take about 30 seconds, 40 seconds just to reflect. So I'll invite any sharing from that could be uh, could be a question, could be a comment, could be something that you noticed. remember the uh, the guided meditation. Or what happened when I clapped my hands? Could you let go of things? So any uh, could you let go of doing? So anyone want to share you could start with maybe what happened in the guided meditation. Anyone want to share that? You can use the uh, raised hands. That'd be the best, but you could also do the chat if you want to. Please, uh, looks like uh, Rose. Please.
1: Yeah. Hi. It's my first time here, so, so thank you so much for posting um, this, and I'm thrilled to be here. Um, Welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when you clapped, I—I I, I guess I realized that often I am doing like a light visualization i was just thinking about what i know is in front of me it's some trees um and when you clapped i like that was part of the effort of doing and i i was no longer like kind of lightly visualizing the trees and i was um actually then like looking at the inside of my eyes i got to see like the light interplay and stuff Um, i thought that was really fun and interesting
0: (laughs) yeah it's an interesting invitation to I think I think it works best when you're somewhat settled. So you can do it, you can experiment, do it at different times, and you can do that yourself. You can just clap. Go around clapping ten times a day. <laughs> right? And but interesting that something a little bit unusual happened, look seeing the light in your eyes, right? But yeah, you, and it sounds like you directly experience kind of the letting go of a certain kind of doing. Right? Right. So this, these are really for the purposes of of exploring and seeing what's there, and and then some. When you get to know that sense of not doing, sometimes when you get to know it well, you can kind of go there directly, just with the intention. Yeah. Thank yes. you, Rose. Yeah. Uh, Victoria, please. And then Stuart. Yeah. Oh, I. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah.
2: Oh okay <laughs> um, yeah, this is great timing. Last night, I had my first uh online performance i'm a I'm a concert violinist, and um i was because it was online and i've never done that before, I was very apprehensive going into it and what I discovered was that because i've I've experienced being in the zone many many times um and it's yeah it's it is indescribable. But what I realized last night, because this was a new platform for me, was this, I afterwards I was thinking about, it and I thought there's a correlation between trust and being in the flow or in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, that I had a few moments where I didn't trust myself or the music or whatever it is. Um, I can't describe it exactly. But it was at those moments of not, it was sort of like... Um, you know, if you jump and you trust the person that is going to catch you, that kind of thing. Yeah. And when I, when I withheld the trust out of fear, I, I fell out of the zone. So they, it was exactly kind of the same thing. So for me, that was an interesting, I've never experienced that before in a, um, in a you know, a live performance situation, because I'm, I've been doing it for so many years, but this new virtual situation sort of, Put everything into very sharp focus, and I had I felt that I had to rely much more on this kind of intuitive state than yeah. normal.
0: Yeah, thank you, thank you, Victoria. Very, uh, very interesting. Thank you for the very uh, clear description. And um, yeah, identifying trust. I mean, we can uh, we can really uh, see a number of factors which have to be there to have that doing come out of non doing. There has to be uh, a certain degree of trust, a certain degree of safety, typically, at least initially, Uh, there has to be a lessening of self-consciousness, of anxiety about performance, um, which can, performance can be there in all spheres of life, you know, the, uh, you know, less self-consciousness, less a sense of, I need to do it this way, and just, one has to also, again, have a certain level of confidence just in one's own ability, in a, a certain area, so, I think what we're what's coming out with these examples is we can really identify some of the factors which uh, permit this to occur. And, you know, and it can occur in musical performance and can occur in meditation. I'm not saying these are all the same, that, but I think the experiences we have in everyday life give us some glimpses of what might be there in sort of in, in the depths of meditative experience as well. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh Stuart, please.
1: Um, thank you for uh doing the session today. I was reminded of a couple things when you were talking. One is um I remember I never read this book, but somebody told me about a book that talks about what it feels like when you're wrong about
0: something. When you're
1: what, what feels like what it feels like when you're wrong about something. Yeah. And the answer is it feels like you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, where all the, you know, passion comes from sometimes. Um, um, And the other is an idea I've always had, which is I try to bring the feeling of what it's like when I'm good at something Mm -hmm. to something that I'm bad at. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, I don't know how relevant it is to what you're saying, but that's what I thought about. Um, I guess my question for you is,
0: You're trying to bring, you know, the sense of undoing to emotional issues. Yeah.
1: Is, you know, this this is sort of a, it's more of an open question, but what do you focus on? What do you work on when you want to do that?
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, thank thank you for your observations. I like that sense of uh, bringing some of the qualities which are there with something you're good at to something that's harder, you know, and it could be, uh, you know, it can, it can lessen all the extra baggage of commentary about self self-consciousness and so forth. And you could even have the perspective <clears throat> that's something that I'm quote unquote bad at. It's just cause, <clears throat> cause I'm at an early stage of development. <laughs> right. And, but we want we'd want to look for, uh, comments about oneself, you know, that this is some kind of a problem about me or something like that. Yeah, in terms of how would this be useful for resolving emotional issues, a lot of it's going to really depend on um, the levels of relationship and trust. I think mean, it goes back to Victoria's comments, but I could imagine. Something like we, what we did could be wonderful where there's a deep trust and you're wanting to get at something and you want to get outside of the ordinary uh, ruts and routines, right? And something like this, can I just let go and see creativity come? You Because know, a lot of what happens with difficulties in relationship is that we get into routines, positions, habitual behavior, and we we can't see possibilities. The mind gets shut down to a certain extent, and so this is something. Maybe that's a clear. This is a clear way to say it. These kind of practices have potential for really opening up the spacious creative mind, which is so needed when we get into difficulties or conflicts. But it's very hard to get to, you know. And then there's a lot more that could be said. But that those are the few things that occur to me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Um, Ed, please. Yeah.
3: see where is unmute you're there yeah okay well good um a couple things kind of came to mind um one of them that i, I think is that uh i know quality of faith and awareness in there and what, what came to mind was an episode of gilligan's island where gilligan makes um wings and starts flapping his wings and is, is actually flying and right next to him is the the skipper Uh, who says, you can't fly. And he's flying. he says, I can't. No, no, you can't. And he crashes to the ground. (laughs) And and I think there's an element of that as well. You know, that when, when you feel like, yeah, I'm here, there's the things that are around me, I'm acting with them and I'm in that flow. Yeah. You know, that is great. But it's those, those moments is maybe, you know, it gets jinxed or whatever. And then, you know, you're really aware that I, I completely fell out of that zone and it, and it's hard to find your way back. You know, and I think, um, I think that's part of why we do this practice, you know, because in everything we do, oh, I feel really centered and really clear
0: yeah. and then
3: something happened and I don't feel centered and clear and I move forward and try and come back. But, um,
0: yeah. Thank you. That's a wonderful story. If you have the link to the YouTube version of that, please share it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we'd find it. It sounds, it'd be great to see. Um, yeah. Yeah. What it's really pointing to is partly through our meditations, our investigations, we can see what takes us out of the zone or what takes us out of the flow. And a lot of things will, but some of them will be uh, self-doubt self-consciousness, right, um, self-judgment, right, and we want, to, we want to track these and really, uh, but even self-consciousness, even without any self-judgment, I was thinking of, I think I gave this example last time, but the it's a famous moment where in the, uh, also from basketball, where Michael Jordan was in an NBA finals, and in the first half he shot seven straight three-pointers, he was totally in the zone. And then he walked by the scorer's table and went like this, meaning something like it's not me, right? But at that moment, he was self-conscious. There was self-consciousness coming in. So, of course, he missed his next shot. Very interesting, right? So so I think yeah. it's really... Seeing if we can notice these these aspects—self consciousness, self judgment—some of them we have to study. You can't just sometimes easily let go of them. But to know, you know, initially to notice what what can block that quality of being in the flow, being with the the non-doing. You because know, there's part of us that's anxious: Am I doing it right? You know, that's where the self consciousness, the self judgment, the self doubt will come in. So we have to, we have to know those qualities sometimes very, very well and work through them sometimes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tolan, do we have anything in the chat? Uh,
1: yeah, we have um, a reflection from a participant
3: about the, uh, the meditation that you brought everyone through. Um, they said that when you said let go, it was as if their body dissolved and wow. that there was a great
1: peace and openness for a few seconds
0: for a few seconds. So wonderful. How many had something like that experience? You may be your own version of that. Something shifted. Yeah. But again, keep on clapping during the day (laughs) and, uh, you know, but make sure you're in a convenient place when your body dissolves. How should I say that? Um, yeah. Um, be in the right place. I mean, um, I'm mostly joking, but there there is also uh, really that point that uh, uh, there has to be enough safety and trust when we go into... These are kind of vulnerable places to go into. It's another way to say it. So, uh, but yeah, beautiful, uh, beautiful report. And uh, so some of the habitual consciousness shifted. There was a letting go. And what happens in a lot of the traditions, which point towards these deeper forms of awareness that are can be the basis for the doing coming out of not doing is that one can initially sometimes only access them for a short time as in our as in what we did but then you keep on doing that do that 10 15 times a day and something starts getting familiar you can start accessing it a little bit more in meditation it can take some time i mean time meaning you know over, um, actually over years it can develop. Uh, but if you do it more readily or more frequently in the meditation and in daily life, you can have more access to those, those qualities. Um, so again, maybe I can go more into that another time. How many would like to go continue with this theme some? Yeah. Further. Yeah. Okay. Um, Great. So we're, I think we're at uh, the end of our time. Is there, are we finished with the, uh, anything in the chat, Tolan? Uh,
3: nothing in the chat. Uh, just, yeah, so we're good.
0: Great. Okay. So let's, let's again um, have a few moments of quiet time to reflect on what you might have learned, explored in our session particularly related to how you might want to take something that came up uh, from our session and, and have an intention for continuing in your own practice, in daily life, maybe in your creativity. Just see what's there for you, both what you learned and where you'd like to go further. It'll take about a minute now just to reflect. Now we'll close with our traditional dedication of merit. May the benefits from our session be there for us, be there for those in our own lives, in our own circles, and then be extended. May the benefits then be extended beyond our own circles, ultimately to all beings, ultimately knowing that we are part of all beings. So thank you, everyone. And in a moment, I think uh, I'll ask Tolan to, you know, uh, unmute everyone. And if you want to say goodbye, uh, you can do that. Or just chat a little bit. So anyway, till next time. Okay. Bye-bye, everyone.
2: Bye-bye.
0: So you can unmute if you wish and say goodbye or say anything.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Bye bye.
3: Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you, Donald. Thank you. Thank you, Donald.
1: You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
3: -bye.
0: Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Tolan. Yay. Thanks, Tolan. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bye, everyone.
3: Bye Bye bye.